In this episode of Flying Smarter, I start by talking about birds in airport terminals. Afterwards, I'm chatting with budget traveler Kendall Grender, covering things like finding cheap fares, booking with points versus cash, tools for searching for and booking flights, and much more. Welcome to episode 36 of Flying Smarter, the podcast that explores the fascinating world of air travel to help you become a smarter and savvier traveler. Now I'm really excited about this episode and then the next one as well because they feature my chat with the amazing Kendall Grender. She's a budget traveler and travel hacker that I've been following on Instagram for a while now. She has tons of valuable advice and knowledge and I really admire what she does. We had so much to talk about that I ended up splitting it into two episodes. As usual though, I'll start off with the questions and fun fact bits of the podcast before getting into the first part of my talk with Kendall. Now, let's get started. Why are there birds in airport terminals? If you've flown enough, you've probably seen a bird in an airport terminal. It's actually a relatively common phenomenon, with many airports facing the challenge of dealing with birds that end up inside their terminals. I've definitely seen birds inside terminals multiple times and have spotted them flying or hanging out near the ceiling and even walking around on the floor alongside passengers. Now, let's start with how and why birds end up in terminals in the first place. Airport terminals are big buildings and there are lots of points of entry for birds. They have dozens or hundreds of doors and windows, and many of these are quite large. Think of how airports have multiple large sliding doors where passengers enter and exit. Behind the scenes, there are loading doors and tons of doors and open spaces where airport vehicles, like baggage carts, get in and out of the building. The inherent design of an airport gives birds lots of opportunities to get in. Plus, airport terminals tend to be large open spaces with some food available, making them places where many birds can survive. Airports have wildlife management staff, and back in episode 3 I talked about how they work to keep birds away from planes. But they also work indoors to deal with birds that have made their way inside the terminal. The way that they do this is generally through live trapping, which allows a bird to be released into its natural habitat. That being said, removing birds from an inside a terminal is no easy task and can be incredibly challenging given the large size and open spaces within these buildings. Did you know that each aircraft tail in the Frontier Airlines fleet features a different animal? Since its inception in 1994, Frontier has painted animals on the tails of its planes. Today, each of Frontier's over 120 aircraft has a different animal on the tail. Each animal also has a name that's also painted on the plane, and examples of these include Powder the Polar Bear, Trixie the Fox, Piper the Pelican, and Shelly the Sea Turtle. Frontier's website has a whole section that shows the names and images of all the animals, as well as information on each animal in each aircraft. (music) 
Kendall Grender is a travel blogger and content creator. In 2022, she quit her job and spent 31 nights in Europe with her husband for only $4,000 out of pocket. She's traveled to over 20 countries around the world and has saved over $22,000 on travel in 2022 alone. She's behind the very successful Instagram account, Kendall Travels, and offers services and resources to help people save on their travels. I've been following her on Instagram for a while now, and I'm super excited to have her here. Welcome, Kendall. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. And I'm really excited to have you here. Um, So you're a travel hacker and you're a budget traveler. And I think different people might have different ideas of what that means when they hear those words. So what do budget travel and travel hacking mean to you? Well, I think for me, you know, what I always tell people when I'm coaching them is it's largely about stretching your already defined travel budget in no matter what method that might mean to you. So there's a lot of ways that you can stretch your defined travel budget. Points and miles are the biggest way, um, but also knowing them where you're comfortable paying cash and where you're comfortable paying points and miles in order to stretch that budget to take you either to destinations you didn't expect to be possible to travel more throughout the year, or just to have more luxurious uh, experiences than you thought were possible. So that's kind of like my philosophy behind budget travel. It doesn't have to be hostels. It doesn't have to be backpacking. It doesn't have to be being a vagabond, you know, circumnavigating the globe, though. I have uh, definitely interacted with those kinds of people as well. Um, But, you know, my husband and I, we largely travel on a $100 a day budget uh, when we're going around the world. And we um, you know, are stretching our budget when it comes to our airfare, finding cheap cash fares, paying points and miles. And, and the same can be said with our hotels as well. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in there that I want to touch on as we go along. Um, but maybe let's start with with flying because we're we're here talking about uh, it's an air travel podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, so maybe let's start with booking flights. And you mentioned it a little bit uh, back there. But how do we approach the big question of uh, using points or versus cash? I think that that's the question I get asked probably the most. And I might have a different philosophy because, you know, you can do all these mathematical equations of what is the value I'm getting, but your points and miles are as valuable as you let them be. You know, if you're going to see your family and you paid $12 round trip instead of paying $400, who cares, you know, what your cent per point is, if it matters to you. But I would say like what it comes down to for me is if I can get a good deal there or not with cash, if I'm comfortable paying cash, I pay cash. If I'm not comfortable paying cash because of my defined travel budget, then I'll pay with points. Um, Some places that, you know, I definitely almost never pay points to are Europe. You can find $350 to $500 flights to Europe if you have flexibility pretty regularly. Um, And the same can be said with other kind of hubs around the world that I'm kind of familiar with, with all of the years that I've been travel hacking to know that I can get a good cash value there. But then I use points, you know, for things that have outsized value for me because of how you can use them. But I also fly a lot of economy flights. So you see a lot of people in business class being like, I saved $12,000 on this round trip flight. And it's like, yeah, but like you wouldn't have paid $12,000 ever. (laughs) Um, Whereas, you know, for me, I'm like, 
okay, yeah, I'll use points and miles because this flight was a thousand dollars and I monitored the price for a long time and never went down. You know, I'll, I'll pay, you know, with points on this one, but, you know, finding the economy sweet spots for me are really where I, I stretch my budget with points and miles too. Now, when it comes to cash fares, um, I know you talked a little about Europe there and you shared lots about uh, tips and advice you have for for looking for cash fares. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I use a few methods for cash fares. I think one thing is just learning by doing. So the more that you're invested in travel hacking or the, at least my approach to travel hacking, the more you start finding patterns of behavior. So you see that certain airports are cheaper to fly into. Um, you start noticing that certain months or when you'll see the deals for you know the next season or the season after that season. Um, and you start just seeing these little tiny nuggets of information that are helpful for you uh, to do positioning flights uh, or positioning cities even where you're going in order to save hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. Um, so for example, you know, if you're flying uh, to Europe, there are cities that are much cheaper to fly into than other ones. So a lot of people like to go to Paris. Paris is very expensive to fly to. Um, whereas if you went to Barcelona, you could save hundreds of dollars on your plane ticket flying to Barcelona instead of flying to Paris generally. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be like, mm -hmm. oh, that's always true. And then someone goes on Google flights and like, oh, well, Paris was cheaper than Barcelona on this Saturday in the month of August. Like, yeah, that happens mm -hmm. too. But generally speaking, you know, we look for patterns that allow us to know that we can save money. Another aspect of that is using positioning flights. So I live in Kansas City, mid-sized airport central, you know, of the entire country of the United States. And so, you know, for me, you, you have to start understanding what airports you can consistently fly to very inexpensively. Um, and so for me, it's Chicago, Dallas, and New York City. I know I can always get to those airports really inexpensively and LA most of the time too. And so I know exactly how much those flights should be. Um, and then if I go there or go somewhere else when it's very expensive, that's when I use points and miles in order to make that cash fare to Europe, to Central America, South America, Asia, wherever I'm going in the world, make that more realistic for me by maybe using points and miles in order to get that hop over to that long haul flight. But yeah, keep cheap cash fares. The other thing is having flight alert services. Um, I, I subscribe to two personally. I like going and I like thrifty traveler. And I use those in conjunction with my own skills. I've learned of Google flights um, and understanding patterns of behavior in order to save me a lot of money um, when I travel around the world with cash. Now, you mentioned positioning flights there. And I, I, I like you, I live in a smaller mid-sized city, um, done the same thing as you, some, you know, fly to bigger cities to get better fares, that type of thing. Um, one thing that I've always been a little worried about, and I wondered what you thought about it, is when it comes to building connections when you're doing positioning flights. Um, I've always been a little worried and I always give myself lots of time, but I wanted to see what you, uh, what you thought and what, uh, what your approach to that is. 
Well, that's one place that I really like using points and miles for. So I usually arrive the evening before. Mm-hmm. Um, so my husband, I usually travel with my husband. He still works, you know, a nine to five. So we usually take like the last flight out the day before, and then we just spend the night. And we typically use that night on points and miles, um, no matter what the cost is. And then we just uh, take the flight the next day. So that's like really our philosophy with it. Arrive the night before or six to eight hours early. Um, So if it's anything less than that, I'm kind of paranoid personally about missing that flight. Um, the good news is if you book on points and miles, you know, for your long haul flights, you have more flexibility with your tickets too, than if you pay cash. Um, but I always just arrive the night before, and that's a really helpful way. Now, when I'm coming home, it depends on when I arrive. So if my flight's arriving at 10 AM, I'll probably uh, take a 6 PM flight out. Um, so, you know, sometimes that's kind of annoying. You've taken a long haul flight and you're sitting at the airport for five hours, six hours. Um, but it, it gives you a lot of peace of mind and a lot of flexibility if something happens with your flight that you can still get that connecting flight. But the other thing I always keep in mind is these flights for me on positioning flights are usually really inexpensive. And so if something goes wrong, I have two backups. If the flight's cheap enough, I'll just buy it again, which isn't ideal, but I also have points and miles, right? And so I can use those probably finding a last minute deal, um, in order to make that work as well. Yeah. But it's I'm... never happened. Okay. <laughs> That's never happened. I've never had to do that. <laughs> no, I'm with you on that too. I've never had to do it. I think I, mean, I usually try to get the night before too. The one time, I think the closest I've ever cut it, I think was, I think I had five and a half hours, yeah. but it was one where it was cheap enough where I was like, okay, if I miss this next flight, there's enough options that I think I can still get myself there and that I'd be willing to take that risk. Right. Exactly. Uh, and they'll usually do just like a, if you read, you know, the, the rules of your ticket, mm-hmm. if you don't buy a basic economy ticket, you usually just have to pay a fee mm-hmm. and they'll mm-hmm. move you to another flight. So it's not like you're out like a lot of money if that mm-hmm. happens. Um, but you know, you don't want to sit around at the airport all day, like get, take the first flight out to mm-hmm. Chicago and then your flight to Germany's at 11 PM. Like no yeah. one wants to sit at the airport for that long. So just go the night before, enjoy it, you know, go do something in the city and, and have a, a nice time on points and miles before you take that cheap flight. Yeah. And that's the other thing you can do, right? Like make the stopover essentially part of the trip and enjoy your time. Uh, that you spend there exactly yeah and like just do something small like it doesn't even have to be anything major just go and enjoy what you can on that time but it it always works out i think people get really stressed about positioning flights um but if you go the night before the worst thing that happens is they put you on the first flight in the morning um if you go the day of you know you just need to put in that time um and and make sure that you're flying direct to where you're going for your positioning city, which generally you should have a direct flight there. If it's a positioning city, it's generally going to be a hub um, just so that you can make sure that you have that that space that you can give yourself just in case. Because that's the flight you don't want to miss, right? Like <laughs> exactly. you don't want to miss your flight where you're going somewhere fun. But, you know, I also want to keep in mind like to your listeners as well. Like I've had great deals out of Kansas City that I mostly get from my flight alert services. So like you don't have to position yourself. I think positioning yourself definitely can save you more 
consistently, but I've flown, you know, $130 to Belize. I've flown $500 to Amsterdam, $300 to Munich. Um, I've flown a lot of places from Kansas city for really good deals, like jaw dropping deals, but those are not as common as if you can get yourself positioned somewhere else. So that's really where you open, you open up the jar, right? If Mm -hmm. you go to these positioning cities for a consistent savings, um, that you just can't get from your home airport, especially if you're choosing a destination you want to go to. So if you're just following the deals, you know, you have a lot more flexibility, but if you're like, no, I'm going to Bangkok, Thailand, right? Like I fly out of Kansas city to Bangkok, Thailand, that's going to be $1,300. Mm-hmm. But if I fly out of LAX consistently, I could get that flight for 700 to $900. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you kind of see those patterns to positioning yourself when you know where you want to go. So take that little plus icon on Google flights Mm -hmm. and just like add all those airports, you know, you can easily get to. So like you have specific travel dates or even just a specific destination in a month, use that little plus icon and think of all of those airports, you know, you can consistently get to for a good price. And you'll be amazed at how much better the offers you get are. Now, you talked about flight alerts, you mentioned Thrifty Traveler, Google Flights. I'm curious what uh, types of tools uh, or resources that you use when it comes to looking for fares or when it comes to booking flights uh, themselves. I'm very much of the mindset of following the deal, not the destination. But I'm also like very understanding that I'm a much more adventurous traveler than a lot of people are. A lot of people are like, nope, I'm going to a beach in Mexico on these dates. And that's that, right? Um, But I feel like if you follow the deal and not the destination, one, you open up your comfort zone to places and experiences you didn't think were possible for you. But secondly, I think that that's really where like that golden nugget of air travel on a deal is, is finding those places through um, flight alert services, Google flights, um, and, and figuring that out for yourself. Now, for me, I use going and thrifty traveler. I have a thrifty traveler premium plus subscription there. Um, and I have a going premium subscription as well. Going used to be called Scott street flights for anyone who's very confused. Um, and then I also do my own research on, um, Google flights where I just, um, do the explore tool, um, and kind of look at maybe I have specific travel dates that I still have time to play around with. And then I kind of see where I could go within those dates. Um, another thing that's helpful is if you fly Southwest, they have that great, um, tool where they'll run those sales, right? Like starting at $59 one way, you put in your airport and it lists all of the possibilities there. Sometimes Thrifty Traveler will send those out if they're really good, but generally they don't. So um, using utilizing that is a great resource. Another thing is um, my husband and I have the companion pass with Southwest. So we get buy one, get one free airfare on all of our points and cash bookings for almost two years. Um, and so going through, you know, that portal and seeing like $59 flights, well, for the two of us, it really is $59 mm-hmm. plus the taxes on my ticket. So it's a nice kind of approach to take um, through a variety of, of methods of finding these deals, especially with cash fares. Um, but like I said earlier, it's also a lot of trial and error of finding what you know about, right? So like, I know that you can consistently find a cheap flight to Columbia. 
And you could go to Bogota for 250 bucks round trip. If you fly out of Miami, usually 350 if you fly out of Dallas. And that is just knowledge, right? It's a learned skill that you kind of develop over time. And you start seeing those patterns of when is it time uh, that Europe will be on sale? Usually um, late spring to midsummer for fall winter travel. And once you start knowing that, then you know, okay, now it's the time to get on Google flights and start piecing some stuff together to see what would even be possible if I wanted to go to Europe during this time. The other thing that I do, and I am very fortunate is I don't work a nine to five. I don't have to ask for vacation time anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if you can travel shoulder to low season, you have a lot more opportunity to find these deals with cash than you do if you're flying in July, right? So you have to keep that in mind too. It's a supply and demand thing. Um, But then there's also something to be said about tourist bureaus and trying to boost their, their, um, you know, travelers coming in. And so that also is part of the equation and, and people just giving you really, really good deals to go and see them. Like I mentioned earlier, the next episode of Flying Smarter will feature the second portion of my conversation with Kendall. There's lots of additional valuable information and advice that she had to share that we go over in that part, including her approach to collecting points and miles, how budget travel can involve high-end and luxury experiences, and how you can make your airport experience more pleasant and enjoyable. Kendall also talks about stacking, which is essentially the idea of earning points in multiple loyalty programs at a time. And I mention this now because the release date of this episode, May 22nd of 2023, is also the launch date of Kendall's new stacking course called Stacking Academy. The program is designed to give you the tools and skills that you need to get more points and miles and not miss out on the potential to earn hundreds or thousands of dollars of free travel from your everyday purchases. I'll have a link to that in the episode description, and you'll find more travel tips and resources from Kendall at www.kendalltravels.com and on our Instagram page, Kendall Travels. That brings us to the end of episode 36 of Flying Smarter. Be sure to follow or subscribe to Flying Smarter wherever you get podcasts so that you get future new episodes right when they're released. The next episode will have the second part of my chat with Kendall and you won't want to miss that. Thank you for listening and I'll talk to you again soon. Mm -hmm.